You're listening to Brown on Brand, featuring Matthew Brown on Thumbstopper.fm. All right, all right. Welcome back to Brown on Brand. Matthew Brown here with uh, special guest Jody Haneke with Haneke Design. They really run the uh, full gamut Haneke Design does when it comes to helping businesses with their digital footprint. Really a pleasure to have you on the show today, Jody, and uh, looking forward to hearing your story and about your business. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Great to be here. Um, You know, Jody, I've known you for a number of years, and I'm glad you took the time to come on the podcast. There's been really a focus and obsession about user design. And when we were hopping on this interview, you had even brought up and go, oh, wow, some of the technologies, wow, that's a bad user design. So you're one of those guys that's continually just looking at this UI side of things and and backing up a little further. And I I want you to tell me about this. Uh, You know, pre-production, I got some information that you did album covers. So... I run a software company right now, and we started with a focus on uh, user experience design, right? So that that's that's kind of where I'm at. But his like the, the path in which I got here was pretty unique in the sense that um, I was not a very good student in high school, nice solid solid C student, and I went to um, a prep school, and so a lot of my friends were getting into great colleges and everything, and I was not that material. Um, but I was really artistic you know, and, and I like to draw and sketch and, and all that sort of thing. And, um, I remember my mom was literally like, um, Hey, all your friends are getting in college. You need to figure out what you're going to do or else I don't know what you're going to do. And, um, you know, I had jobs, landscaping, you know, busting tables and stuff. Yep. And so I knew, okay, that could be the route. I go down and there you go. But, um, I found out about art school and, um, I, uh, at that time I was actually doing, um, I was creating mixtapes. So I'm dating myself now. So, those of you who remember like cassette tapes used to like record songs off the radio or you'd have like a dual cassette recorder and you would make your girlfriend like a mixtape. Right. You know, and all, and uh, it's, you know, essentially a Spotify playlist. Right. Yep. And um, I used to design album art for the mixtapes. Right. And so I would draw or I would like cut out letters from magazines and I would just kind of create these artistic uh, album covers for these mixtapes. And uh, I didn't realize that at the time, but like, I was just doing that for fun, but that is what graphic design is. Like that is a job. Right. And I didn't realize that. So once I got into art school, I, um, my eyes were kind of blown wide open to what graphic design was. And I, I fell in love and, and just uh, went from being a very terrible student to, to being at the top of my class and being in an honors program, the fourth year where I was working in the design center, which did all the publications for the school and for nonprofits and, uh, and I just, I just uh, really found my passion. And from that point, just to fast forward, from that point till now, I've taken like design and graphic design and essentially um, been using all of those skills and techniques uh, to designing for the screen, right? So, you know, touch screen kiosks in the early days all the way to, you know, designing for mobile devices now. And uh, so that's how I, um, I got to where we're at. Yeah, and Haneke Design, obviously, You've made a great, uh, you know, no pun intended, thumbprint on the Tampa Bay marketplace and, um, you know, just a great reputation in business. We've used you for a number of things. We continue, you know, to be partners today on a number of things. And you're currently working on a mobile application for us. Uh, we got into mobile app. Mobile app development for iOS is what basically got us from being kind of like a boutique front end agency into like full stack development. You know, they announced the iPhone and the SDK, the software developer kit. And that's when I said, we're, we're going to take the leap here. 
uh, from doing just front end to being able to deliver turnkey mobile applications. And now we're, we're full stack across the board, but the underpinning of all of it is that user-centered design. So, you know, in some cases, you know, we can fill gaps working with companies that have, they've got full stack developers, but hey, they need some help really understanding and thinking through the user experience. So we, you know, kind of fill that gap. And then, you know, we'll work with companies that need the full gamut, you know, they've, uh, you know, they're VC backed startups and they, they want to get to market quickly and they need help like with that first version of their product while they're building out their team. So in that case, we can really take on the entire uh, soup to nuts of what needs to be uh, delivered. Do you find most of your business um, is from foundation up or do you step in a lot to where there's a seasoned product there? It might be past beta. They've got revenue on the product and then you find a company needs outsourced help or. It honestly is a mixed bag, you know? So um, a lot of, I'd say more like emerging companies usually need more help. And then the larger companies that we work with that we've had multi-year relationships are basically companies that are like, they might say, hey, we've got the back end, we've created the API, we're, we're managing the web application, but we need help with iOS and Android. Can you just kind of bolt onto our team? You know, we're not going to hire for that because we don't, we don't see the need at that level, but we also know that we need some level of it over time. And oh, by the way, you've got the UX UI folks that can help dial in all of what we're doing. You know, the, that's typically how some of the things happen with the larger companies where it's more collaborative and we're working together and just kind of filling gaps uh, within their team. Got to think like building websites or especially with software because there's so many details, you know, through the ideas phase and then the design or the wireframe and the design and the, you know, I've got to think that it's like building houses, right? That there's probably less emotion in it if somebody hires you to build something from the foundation up versus getting involved where they've kind of been the foundation already. Does Am I sensing that correctly? Well, I think we always try to get people out of the, um, whether we're starting from the beginning or we're kind of jumping in after they've got a product to market, we always try to back up to who the end user is. So yep. that usually helps get out of those issues of like people like kind of protecting their their vision. Um, we really try to get the language converted into like what is most effective given who your target audience is. And it's not you, right? It's someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And so whether we're starting from scratch or we're inheriting it, we really try to, you know, that's why we'll try to create an inventory of user stories and prioritize those based on pain points that we're solving for your target audience. Mm-hmm. The bigger the pain point, the higher value, the more money they're willing to pay for it. So you start using that kind of language. Um, it becomes easier to talk about prioritization and why we're making the recommendations that we are. Yeah, right. You know, I don't think enough companies take into consideration and they they take a lot of capital, they deploy it towards really marketing their brand. And then, you know, their product sometimes lacks. And the most important part of a brand, in my opinion, is the end result of the user experience in the product. So well, it's, it's an a, amazing. It's, a, it's all touch points, right? So when you talk about branding, it's so simplistic to be like, oh, your brand is your logo and your the your, the colors you're using, the typography. I mean, like I've right. been I've been doing brand identity from a visual design standpoint forever, and that is an important piece. But almost more importantly is to inventory all of your brand touch points. And if you're delivering software, that's your brand. what what are those, Jody? Tell me about the brand touch points. That's the anywhere somebody sees you, uses a product, so website, UI. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's all the traditional things that you can imagine. 
you know, if you have any kind of physicality to your business, it's your signage, it's your wayfinding, um, you know, it's your, um, it's service design too, right? It's how do you interact with customers and how do you, um, how do you create a common set of language, right? So that's the thing that people forget too. Again, brand is not just visual. It's also communication. Um, and are your people all when asked, you know, hey, um, when you describe what you do, are they all saying the same thing? You know, that's mm -hmm. branding. It's not just it's not just the visual design aspect of it. it it's communication across the board. Um, and I think that's important. And then the last piece of branding that I, I really um, it's really amazing to see is that it was really easy for a, a company to almost like dictate their brand to to the world. Right. They create mm -hmm. the brand perception. I think now you have to factor in that, um, like when you're looking at buying a product and you go to Amazon, what's one of the decision-making, what it gives you a feeling about whether or not you should buy that product. Let's say it's, I don't know, some, some device for your house or whatever. You immediately look at reviews, right? And you start doing analytics like, okay, do they have only three reviews and they're all good, right? And this one's got a thousand reviews and wow, they're average, you know, four stars or whatever. How is that not brand? Your perception yeah. about buying that product is now being influenced by what the community says about that product. So yeah. um, that it's that becomes been a hot topic. Yeah, um, these are all things that, to me, are part of the perception of your company, aka the brand. Yeah, definitely. And so, what would you say to the you know young people like? got an email message out from the Tampa Bay wave on this COVID-19 update. And I had forgotten uh, quickly, obviously, with trying to round my company up and take it, uh, you know, remote, and you've had to go through the same thing. You know, we forget about these young entrepreneurs, what, you know, what bit of advice, there are a lot of people that are out there, they've got, you know, great talents. Um, what would you say to the young people today that are starting up a business? Um, and want to want to turn that front in and go all in right there at that point in their their career. Maybe they've got the experience. I'll, I'll comment on the few that I think are are extremely important. One of the most important things is you have to be honest with yourself. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs because they are optimistic. They do present some leadership skills. They see folks that start businesses that that have all these different skills and they just feel like they can be that same person. I think like you really have to assess like what is it going to take to get this business off the ground and of those things where do where do I come up short and be brutally honest about it and at that yeah. point start making some hard decisions like okay well do I need to partner up here you know what I mean do I need to you know maybe I can't be own 100% of this I have to maybe partner with some people give up some equity in order to fill those gaps because ultimately you want to be successful so identify, identify your weaknesses. Yeah, identify those weaknesses and gaps and then figure out how you want to fill those and whether that's through partnerships, um, equity deals, you know, whatever. And then the other thing is like from a services side, this is, this is one thing that I subscribe to um, in our business from day one and it's been super helpful. Um, you'll get a project and you'll get in the weeds and you'll be so focused on it. And when you start a company, you're doing everything. So like mm -hmm. for me, I was doing all the work designing yep. some front end development, blah, blah, blah. And you're in the weeds and you're working nonstop and your phone rings and people ask you like, Oh, Hey, I might have this other project. Do you want to talk about this? And it's easy to be like, I don't have time to do that right now. Like I'm so, you know, we're busy. It's great. And it's awesome. But people don't understand what a sales cycle is. 
right? And the yeah. fact that these conversations may or may not turn into a project. And even if they do, it's going to be a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe two, maybe six months. Yeah. But have the conversations. You know what I mean? Yep. Get the work done. If you got to stay up all night, that's fine. But don't give up having the conversations and, and keeping the top of that funnel full. Um, I saw a lot of people start companies that were similar to mine around the same time. And um, they just put the blinders on and didn't didn't keep the top of that funnel full. And once they were done with that project, they looked around and were like, what's next? You know, it's just because they didn't do anything to put something there. So that that's the uh, that's the last thing I would think are were important lessons for me or things we subscribe to that really helped us uh, keep keep things on track. Well, listen, I want to uh, just shift gears a little bit here again and welcome Emmanuel to the booth. And uh, Emmanuel, thank you for joining us. I know uh, this is going to be our first virtual social roundup. I'm ex anxious. I've seen the topics already. And I know Jody's uh, had an opportunity to see them too. So, uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, we're going to be talking about three different articles here. The first one is from Tech from NBC. Apple will produce 1 million face shields per week for medical hospitals. And another company that does the same thing is McDonald's. They had also donated 1 million masks to first responders, health workers amidst COVID-19. Okay. So my question to both of you is, how does that make you feel? What are your thoughts on that, et cetera? Jody? Um, I'll shoot on that one. I mean, obviously you read that and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, it's, I do think that um, there's uh, large corporations that are stepping it up and um, it's good to see that. The thing that, um, the thing that I would, I, I just, I re I'm a data guy, right? Like I want to, I want to see numbers and I want to make sure that what we're doing makes sense relative to the demand and, 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 and that sort of thing. And that thing is wind up in the, in the prop, in the right hands. You know, you've heard a lot about the supply chain, you know, maybe even New York where, where things were there, but all of a sudden they disappeared or they were not allocated properly. So I think I love it. And it sounds it's, and it's, it's uh, really kudos to those guys for stepping it up. But the next part of that question is, is that that's a great press release, but you know, where's it going and how do we make sure that the, the, the right people wind up with, with what they need? Yeah, I, I take Jody's point on this as well. Maybe to dig a little bit deeper is it's important to see that the, you know, at a time like this, number one, that we're responding quickly. So it's nice to see the big companies step up. And I yeah. certainly think there's a lot of people, you know, in the right place with that. Um, but waste and could be a big problem. And while you don't want to go into evaluating the waste right out of the get because it might cost lives. I think we've overreacted a little bit here. And I think um, some of the initial uh, projections and, and things, and I know uh, Jody's been very active on social, you know, kind of pushing this is um, that, you know, there has to be some checks and balances in place. And this is where it takes a good team of being able to operate, yeah. bringing in the science, bringing in the data analysts. And, you know, so just carrying off of Joe, Jody. Yeah. Right? What I'm amazed about is like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? Like, like to just yeah. pivot like that and, and yeah, make yeah. Oh, that's the big thing. Yeah. That's, that's the most Im impressive part I would say is to have the wherewithal to do that. And at the same time, you know, um, while worrying about, you know, losing business, you know, so it's amazing yeah. to see people re do these things completely selflessly, you know, and, uh, yeah. so that, that part, you know, huge thanks and, and great job. 
I would end it too. Um, you know, I, I think it's almost a responsibility of the companies. Uh, you know, they gain the most, or they garner the most uh, protection under our military costs. They garner the most protection under our tax laws. Um, they, we've, they've come off of a 14 year, you know, uninterrupted economic expansion with record profits across these companies. But like Jody says, how do you take Ford and GM and retrofit their factories to stamping out, you know, COVID masks or test kits or, you know, whatever it is they're doing. So, well, you know, I'm thankful for it and appreciative at the end of the day, you know, the big companies, they need to do that. They need to help respond in times of crisis like this. We, they, 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 they owe it. Awesome perspectives. Well, the last article I want to go over is from the New York times and the title is U S is nowhere close to reopening the economy. Experts say what day was Um, that April 4th. So two perspectives I want to share from this article. One perspective is it says essentially economists say there won't be a fully functioning economy again until people are confident that they can go about their business without worry about the coronavirus. And another aspect of this article, it says without more testing, there is no way you could set up a time limit when you can open up the economy. I mean, I'll take a stab. There's going to be a lot of overreaction. That's the society we live in. But if you if you just look at the basic data points, you could tell yourself for the most part, um, and Sweden's done this, the wheels of progress could move forward. You know, it could, now that I think we're getting the data we, we're getting, I think we're going to be back in business here in, in uh, a few weeks. I, I share similar sentiments that you do on the topic, but I think it's, um, I think it's important to realize when you have you know, something in an article that basically say economists say, I'm like, okay, well, I could find an economist that says exactly the opposite thing, which has really pushed me in the direction of data. Like, I'm not really interested in anyone's opinion. I want to know what the numbers are. Um, I want to know where the data is coming from. I will, I will say the one notion about testing is that is true. I do think that everything that's been shared so far, as far as models and projections are concerned, are predicated on a denom- denominator, which is not accurate, right? You have to have a baseline. We have to know how many people might have had this issue um, maybe back in November. So, so if, we're not, if we don't have an understanding of, of the baseline of the denominator, then how can we ever create a proje- mortality projection? It's just, it's just everyone's making stuff up. Um, so again, I, 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 and as far as the economy reopening, I think we basically, it, it, it's, it is, there is a feeling and a perception issue there. I do think that when policymakers can say, look on May one, here's, what's going to happen. If you, um, meet certain criteria, you get back to work, right. And everyone else who's either sick, tested positive or is compromised, or maybe over the age of so much, we, we advise you stay home and lay low. And, and, and then restaurants, you're open, but guess what? You got to watch capacity. You got to kind of keep things a little, a little more controlled. And then we're going to just over the course of each week, we're going to roll ratchet that stuff back. As soon as someone says that from a policy standpoint, they, they go out there and say that, I think we're going to see everything start to cruise exactly back to where it needs to be. It doesn't have to be a switch overnight where everything's exactly back. But at the same time, we have to say like on, on, you know, May 1, we're essentially open for business, right? That's what's going to do it. Absolutely. And I'm going to sign out with one last thing. And it's like Jody pointed out as an entrepreneur, you know, I know every entrepreneur's slogan, it's not a matter of if bad things are going to happen. It's a matter of when bad things are going to happen and how you react to that is part, you know, basic in your, 
you know, basic foundation to the culture of the company and the business and the, and the leaders in those businesses. Totally agree. Jody Haneke, we are going to sign out on Brown on Brand. I really appreciate you joining us and uh, love to do this again. Can't wait to read that thought leadership piece on things to learn from this whole COVID-19. Glad your business is doing well. Visit their website at HanekeDesign.com. I've got that right, right? Yep. And uh, we're signing out. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening. And remember, subscribe to Brown on Brand at Thumbstopper.fm or wherever fine podcasts can be found.